Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. There's a Chick-fil-A in Pittsburgh, and out of the customer's line of sight in the kitchen, there's a 26-year-old woman in a headscarf, very small of stature, making chicken sandwiches, constantly having to look up to check the drive through screen to see whether each new order needs tomatoes or bacon or cheese. She works quietly, she works diligently, and her coworkers have no idea what she did before this. And what did she do before this? So her name is Nahid, and for the previous six years, she was part of a covert unit of female Afghan soldiers vetted and trained by U.S. Special Operations to accompany them into very dangerous nighttime raids so they could search and interview women and children. So Nahid has seen a lot of combat, and she is an elite soldier who served Afghanistan and essentially America for years in a very dangerous time of the war. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. My name is Amanda Ripley, and I'm a journalist and author, and I just wrote a piece for Politico magazine about an unusual group of female Afghan refugees. On today's show, the true story of 39 Afghan female elite trained soldiers who served their country and the United States for 10 years on dangerous missions, who now suddenly find themselves scattered in 26 cities across the United States. Could you ask them, please, what they miss about their jobs? Everything. And they don't think their mission is done. And they're trying to figure out how to continue to fight for women and girls from afar. For me, the first surprise was that this unit existed at all. A lot of people don't know about it. I'd never heard of it. Yeah, right. And so it's called the Afghan Female Tactical Platoon. And it was started up about 10 years ago. And it was really designed to create a small force of highly trained women who could go in alongside U.S. and Afghan special operations commandos to interview and search women and children. Because in Afghan culture, if male soldiers try to interview, let alone search uh, a female, it is a huge problem. So that woman could be killed or certainly ostracized by um, other Afghans. And it would create it did create huge amounts of ill will for the US military. So about the same time about 10 years ago, the US military started training up female American soldiers to accompany them. And then it made sense to create a parallel unit of highly vetted and trained Afghan females who could also go in alongside Army Rangers and Green Berets and Navy SEALs, because like the American women, they could talk to women and gather intelligence and look uh, in homes and pick up on a lot of things that male soldiers just couldn't do. But unlike the American women, they were Afghan and spoke the language and were Muslim. So there was a lot of advantages and opportunity in having this particular unit ready. And you spoke with some of the American female soldiers who became great friends with these women, but initially were kind of skeptical about how this was going to work. 
Right. So in the beginning, it was a difficult mission. And now they're being asked to bring on Afghan women who, you know, it's just many more barriers, um, like almost inconceivable amount of barriers, honestly, like, for example, you know, traditionally, Afghan women are not supposed to be out at night, they're not supposed to be certainly not, Mm -hmm. you know, without men, certainly not running into Taliban compounds, carrying an assault rifle alongside US male soldiers. Um, So there's like every possible taboo was being broken by these women. And also, you know, they had to keep up with the men, you know, traditionally, Afghan women, were not doing a lot of fitness and cross training, right? So they had a much bigger barrier to surmount than the American women. What were they doing? Like, Describe what they did. I was pretty amazing. You know, they they went on way more missions than their male American and female American counterparts because the U.S. women would usually go for about six months on deployments and then come back. But these women, they would get little breaks, but they were always deployed, essentially. And so they probably conducted, there were about 80 of them over time who sort of cycled through the platoon over 10 years. And they conducted mm-hmm. something like 2,000 missions is the best estimate we can get. Wow. And then, you know, just to give you a sense of what they were doing, typically they would go out in the middle of the night on these nighttime raids. There'd be like, you know, something like 40 American army rangers or Navy SEALs, and then 40 Afghan special operations commandos, and then one or two of them, usually two. And they'd typically go in by helicopter, and then they Mm -hmm. would kind of be brought down into a remote Taliban-controlled area and have to run at full sprint off the helicopters, sometimes under fire, and then help search these compounds, particularly searching women and children and interviewing women and children to figure out, you know, where the weapons were, where cell phones were hidden, who was missing, who was not there. Um, What they learn really quickly is that women tend, and kids sometimes, know a lot about what is going on in the village and in the home. Mm -hmm. As the Americans told me, they they brought a really invaluable level of knowledge and understanding and and skill to those to those encounters. And the goal was was broadly just to to the best that they could basically eradicate terrorism in Afghanistan, right? Yeah, I mean, when I talked to them, like the goal, the mission to them was very clear, and it was the same mission the Americans had. I mean, it, mm-hmm. the mission was to not to to prevent Afghanistan from becoming a safe haven for terrorists. So they really saw it as a mission that was serving the whole world, and in particular, women and girls. And then last year, the United States pulls out of Afghanistan, and then Kabul falls, and suddenly these women become targets of the Taliban. So what did they describe to you about that? And and how did they get out of the country? Yeah, so they all were aware, obviously, that the Taliban was gaining control around the country, but none of them thought that Kabul would fall so quickly, if at all. And in fact, you know, mm-hmm. neither did <laughs> the US government. So For months before the evacuation of Kabul, they had been applying to try to get special immigrant visas to come to the United States because they were extremely threatened by the Taliban. As one American Green Beret officer told me, they were one of the only groups he knew of who were kill on sight for the Taliban because, as he put it, they were an affront to everything the Taliban stood for. So... Mm -hmm. 
you know, was really important for them to evacuate and their American military female counterparts were working night and day trying to figure out visas. But it turned out they didn't qualify for the special immigrant visas because um, while they were created and trained by the Americans, they technically worked for the Afghan National Army. Mm. And then there was this, you know, really excruciating period of about three days after the Taliban entered Kabul where these Afghan female platoon members were at home. They had destroyed their uniforms, just burned documents, done everything they could to eliminate any trace of their identities. Mm -hmm. But all of those documents that were still at the military bases still fell into Taliban hands. So all their names were in Taliban hands. Mm -hmm. And then eventually they gathered at the airport outside the gates with so many other thousands of desperate Afghans, as we all saw. And then, you know, for hours, they were getting just streams of text messages on WhatsApp and Signal from their American counterparts, trying to direct them to different people and places. And eventually, they were all finally pulled over the gate by American GIs and eventually put on planes and evacuated out of Afghanistan. And where did the women that you talked to, where are they now? Yeah, so I was able to visit almost a dozen of these women in three different cities. And for the piece, we really focused in on three of them. One, Matab was their commander for seven years. So she's really the veteran who's seen it all. Um, and she's in the D.C. area. And then we had Nahid, who is in Pittsburgh, who was known as just an all-around exceptional warrior, honestly. She was good at everything, as she told me, <laughs> and as her commander and colleagues um, confirmed. And she now is working at Chick-fil-A in Pittsburgh. And then we have Nafisa, who is in Atlanta, who is much younger, but also saw the most combat just because of when she served. She just got a job, thank God, which is great news, literally breaking news like a week ago at a coffee shop in Atlanta. So um, three very different women who um, had different strengths. Nafisa was kind of known as a sharpshooter. She was an incredible shot. And Matab, the commander, and Nahid, who was an all-around standout soldier. Yeah. And, uh, you know, trying to figure out a way to continue their mission. I mean, that was so the first was surprise for me was that they existed at all in Afghanistan. And the second surprise was they're really not done fighting. You know, they still see this mission as something that they are very devoted to this mission of helping women and girls in Afghanistan. And so many of them, their dream is to join the U.S. military one day. If they can get green cards, right? What's the what are some of the tricky things with their, you know, immigration status and and who's in control of determining whether they're able to to get green cards? Right. So so they are in a really complicated gray zone when it comes to applying for citizenship, and they're all hoping that Congress will pass an Afghan Adjustment Act, which is something that has been drafted and it uh, has bipartisan support. This is something that we've done many times in the past for Iraqi refugees, Vietnamese refugees. Um, and it's a way to kind of streamline the process, but that hasn't moved in Congress. So, you know, that's something that their American military counterparts are really pushing and trying to call their members of Congress one by one and urge them to move the Afghan Adjustment Act through. Because, you know, 
right now they're here, the women are here under something called humanitarian parole. So they Mm -hmm. um, can stay for two years and they are allowed to have social security cards and work authorization papers and a little bit of initial support um, for rent and that kind of thing. Um, but after that, that's, there's no legal path to, to citizenship. So they really need a way other than adding to the 400,000 people already on our backlogs for, uh, you know, requesting amnesty. Did you talk to them much about their political feelings on, you know, the fact that the United States pulled out of Afghanistan and whether or not that negates some of the success that they'd been having in their missions? Yeah, I was really curious to hear you know, how they would feel about the U.S. government and everything that has happened in Afghanistan. And um, I, you know, there's, of course, a range of opinions. You can't generalize about 39 different women. But Mm -hmm. the women that I spent the most time to, what struck me was most of their anger uh, was totally directed at the Taliban. Um, Mm -hmm. That is who they have been fighting. That is who they see as their oppressor and the oppressor of women and girls in particular. There is definitely a a growing sense of despair among a lot of the women that their male commando peers have not been evacuated out because they don't really see themselves as different from them. And they're being targeted and killed by the Taliban. So that is hard. Are there any members of Congress for whom this is a pet issue or it's being something that they're really pushing? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. So Congressman Earl Blumenauer from Oregon has really took the lead on creating this Afghan Adjustment Act. And he's also worked with um, Senators Chris Coons and Patrick Leahy and also um, Republicans in both chambers to try to create this language to help make it possible for these women and other Afghan refugees to apply for permanent legal residency here. And I know they're working very hard on it from what I hear from the staffers, but I, I don't believe it's been introduced yet. And so the clock is ticking for these women and, and all these 76,000 Afghan refugees. You know, they, they don't know how to proceed, right, until they know whether this is an option for them, this Afghan Adjustment Act. Amanda Ripley, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me, Annie. Good to be here. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our executive producer is Jenny Ament. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>